today's uh, verses, Proverbs 1, 1 through 9, and Proverbs 1, 22 through 33. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding word of insight, words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for, gi- for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance, for understanding proverbs and parables, the, say- the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. How long will you, who are simple, love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Repent at my rebuke. Then I will pour out my thoughts to you. I will make known to you my teachings. But since you refuse to listen when I call and no one pays attention when I stretch out my hand, since you disregard all my advice and do not accept my rebuke, I will turn. I, I in turn will laugh when disaster strikes you. I will mock when calamity overtakes you. When calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you, they will call to me, but I will I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me. Since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, since they would not accept my advice and spurn my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the, sim- of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and at- be at ease without fear of harm. Amen. Several years ago, a researcher at Columbia University followed around several CEOs for a week. She followed them around. She followed every activity they did. And she concluded that we make over 70 conscious decisions every day. Now, some researchers say that when we factor in all the unconscious decisions that we make out of habit or things that we just don't even think about, but we do, the number of decisions we make every day adds up into the thousands. Decisions matter. We mistakenly think that just the big ones matter. Which job do I take? Where should I move? When do I move? And those are big deals. Those are big decisions. But we must not forget the importance of the so-called little decisions in our lives. Sometimes it's the small ones that lead us down the path where we don't recognize the danger until it's too late. They can be small decisions about how we spend our money before we get into credit card debt. Or who we hang out with, the bad influences that lead us down wayward paths. Or where we go after a long day at work, home to our family or out with our friends. 
the things we say, the foods we eat, the things we drink can lead to addictions, bad health, sickness, because decisions matter. But sometimes we focus so much on the gaining of information and having the facts before us so we can make a good decision that we forget there's more to making a decision than just having the right information. Maybe you know someone who's very smart. We call them book smart. Highly intelligent, but then we say, hmm, they don't have street smarts. They don't have common sense. There's an old saying that says, intelligence is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. But wisdom is knowing that you don't put a tomato in a fruit salad. You see, intelligence and knowledge, they're, they're closely connected to wisdom. Wisdom gives us direction on how to use and apply what we know. Because we like to know things. As humans, we want to know everything. It's the driving force behind social media. Wanting to know things is the driving force behind the 24-7 news coverage. Wanting to know is the driving force behind gossip. We are driven to know things. Look back to the Garden of Eden. Satan tempted Adam and Eve with knowledge. What did he say to them? You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Our desire to want to know things, it can be a good thing in life. But it can also be a hindrance. It can get in the way of our faith relationship with God. It can get in the way of our approach to Scripture. It can get in the way of our understanding of Scripture. Well, I need to know this. But this Scripture, it's not very clear. Well, then I just, I'll put it aside. It must not be important. If I can't know it, understand it, We see it happen often with the book of Proverbs. What we do is we approach the book of Proverbs as a list of wise sayings, similar to those we find in a fortune cookie or in a Hallmark card. Or maybe like those wise sayings our grandparents used to say to us. Look before you leap. Don't judge a book by its cover. Cross that bridge when you come to it. Or one I'm sure you're all familiar with, don't count your chickens before they hatch. We've heard them all. But that's how we go into the book of Proverbs with just this say, oh, look, a catchphrase. That's what it is. But that's not what the book of Proverbs is all about. But we also can't look at it as simply a list of moral do's and don'ts. 
The book of Proverbs is so much more than that. It's a gospel book. It's about good news for bad people. It's about grace for sinners. It's about hope for failures. It's about wisdom for dummies. That's me. Anyone else in here? I'm a dummy. I need wisdom. You see, the Hebrew word for Proverbs is mishle. It's from a Hebrew verb that means to represent or to be like. So biblical Proverbs are a model of our reality. It's a representation of the world around us. So that when we take it, when we take these Proverbs, we take them and we study them. We look at all sides of them. It gives us the example of how we're supposed to live. You know, the world tries to tell us how to live. Live and learn, it says. Live and learn. Just do it, it says. Just do it. Deal with the consequences later. You'll learn from them. It'll make you a better person. That's what the world tells us. But God says the exact opposite. God says, learn it. Then go live it. Then there are no consequences. Learn it, then do it. That's what the book of Proverbs is for. A pastor in Nashville describes Proverbs this way. He says, When the Wright brothers flew their airplane for the first time in 1903, they knew their plane was going to take off. And they knew because they had built a wind tunnel where they tested several different wing designs before they used them in action. That's what the book of Proverbs is for, for us. We can explore our real-life situations within the virtual reality of Proverbs. We can know which wings are going to take flight and which ones are going to cause us to crash before we even decide which ones to use. Our situations have already been tested out, and they're written down in the book of Proverbs. They're part of a historical record for us, a record that points to Jesus. Because he is the ultimate model. He is the ultimate example for our behavior. The book of Proverbs is about Jesus himself. The wonderful counselor. The greatest sage who ever lived. He is our life coach. Proverbs is about Jesus transforming us in the best way to live. Learn it then live it. Dr. Oz, Dr. Phil, and all those other self-help gurus that you see out there, they've got nothing on Jesus. He teaches us and sets the model for us in the book of Proverbs, and that's why we need to pay attention to it. He teaches us the wise way to approach life. 
with all the temptations around us, with all the challenges, with all the joys, with all the blessings, the mountaintops and the valleys. He shows us in Proverbs how God intersects with our real life experiences and how to deal with them. Jesus tells us in John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life, have it abundantly. If you want to know how to deal with the temptations of life, if you want to know how to deal with the challenges, if you want to know how to live life abundantly, it starts in the book of Proverbs. It starts with wisdom. Wisdom guides us in the way of life. But what is it? How do we, how do we define wisdom? How do we define it biblically? What does God say about it? We only have to look at the first few verses. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight. The Hebrew word for insight means to find distinctions, to notice differences between things. If you're a fan of, of mystery shows, like Sherlock Holmes, Columbo, Murder, She Wrote, things like that, those characters, they have insight. They can walk into a crime scene and pick up on all the things that no one else in the room is picking up on. That's insight. They see solutions. If you're a parent, you've had insight. You walk into a room, your kids are standing before you, there's a lamp broken on the floor. Kids, what happened? Not me, not me, not me. But as a parent, you have insight. You're going to figure out who did it. Yesterday, I had a funny experience. One of our cats got wandered into our garage, and we didn't realize it, and he ended up spending the night in the garage. But when we had found out and we let him back in the house, he had lost his collar. And so I thought, oh, it's a third one we've lost. I don't want to buy another one. I'm going to go in the garage, and I'm going to find it. Now, if you've seen our garage, you know that's not easy. And so I thought, oh, insight. I had just studied insight. I said, I am going to go into the garage and be like a cat. I'm going to think like a cat, and I will find the collar. So if I was a cat trying to escape the garage, where would I go? And I went into all these little areas. And apparently, I don't have the insight of a cat because I still didn't find it. But that's what insight is. Insight allows you to see solutions. It allows you to see things that no one else can see. Wisdom allows you to see what others can't see. Then Verse 3, wisdom is for receiving instruction. Instruction there, the Hebrew word is about 
growing in character. Literally, it means learning to learn. It's a matter of humility, knowing that you don't know everything and that you can always know more. And then the third word we find to define wisdom is prudent. Receiving instruction in prudent behavior. Doing what is right and just and fair for giving prudence to those who are simple. The Hebrew word for prudence means practical. It means strategical. In other words, you know how to bring something into action. Not only do you have insight to diagnose the problem, but you have prudence that can bring about the action to solve it. In summary, we'll define wisdom as this going forward. It's a skill or a competence that understands how life really works. Wisdom is not simply good moral living. There are plenty of decisions that we need to make that aren't based on morality. Deciding between two jobs is not usually a moral decision. It's just a decision. Yet they have impact on our lives because decisions matter. That's why wisdom matters. What if the Lord gives us so many opportunities in life, but we don't have godly wisdom? What if we have love, but no wisdom? We're going to hurt people with the best of intentions. If we have courage, but no wisdom, we're going to boldly make mistakes. If we have truth, but no wisdom, we're going to make the gospel ugly for people. We're going to chase them away. Hypocrite. That's what we'll be called. You're a hypocrite. Jesus loves, but you don't love because you're just truth, no wisdom. We can have all the technology in the world, but if we don't have wisdom, we're just going to broadcast stupidity. If we have revival, but no wisdom, We can actually halt the growth of the body. We can do more harm than good. What we're going to discover as we begin our study of Proverbs is that wisdom is the grace of Christ that makes our lives beautiful. We're going to see that wisdom is the gospel reshaping us for God's work and God's purposes. What we're going to discover is that wisdom, true godly wisdom, is walking further with Jesus than we could have ever imagined. Further than we've ever gone before. It's not risky. Don't let people tell you it's risky, because it's not. All we leave behind is the grave. All we leave behind is our foolishness. All we leave behind is our own futility. 
as we go through Proverbs, as we discover wisdom, we're going to see that God has marked out the path with his promises. Every step of the way. All right, so where do we find it? I want wisdom. Where do I find it? Proverbs 1.7 tells us, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. Foundation of knowledge is to fear the Lord. Now, this isn't a terror type of fear that's afraid of, afraid of punishment, that's afraid of retaliation. Some of us grew up with a fear of God that was based on this scary God in the clouds that was just waiting to strike us down with a lightning bolt. That's not the fear of the Lord. That's not what is meant by fear of the Lord. It's not about dreading the presence of God because he might punish you. No, the fear of the Lord is about honor. The fear of the Lord is about respect. When you were a child, maybe you had a parent, a grandparent, or some mentor, a teacher that you had so much love for, so much respect for, that you couldn't bear the thought of disappointing them. And so you behaved in such a way that you wanted to make them happy. You wanted to bring them joy. That is what fear of the Lord is. Because when we fear the Lord, we honor and respect him. When we fear the Lord, we live in awe of his power. We live in awe of his mercy and his grace. And we are honored. We feel honored to obey his word. The fear of the Lord, it's an openness to him and all that he has to say to us. It's an eagerness to please him. It's a humility that brings us in line with his will and his instructions. When Job was searching for God in his trials, he was trying to understand wisdom too. And he came to this conclusion in Job 28, 28. This is what he says to all humanity. The fear of the Lord is true wisdom. To forsake evil is real understanding. See, a fear of the Lord is a willingness to turn from evil. The fear of the Lord is a willingness to want to change to what God wants for you, not what you want for you. When Abraham was following the Lord's command to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, the angel stopped him and said in Genesis twenty-two twelve, Don't lay a hand on the boy. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Fear of the Lord is when we surrender our will to the Father's will. When Paul wrote to the Ephesians, instructing them to be imitators of God, 
He said to them in Ephesians 5, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Fear of the Lord is observed in how we treat one another. When we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ with honor, with respect, and most of all, when we treat one another with love, we are demonstrating a fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is when we realize we're not the measure of all things. He is. And the way we live bears that out. Fear of the Lord produces in us a faith in God that then becomes the controlling principle of our understanding of the world. Fear of the Lord is what controls our actions. It controls our attitudes because we're in humble service to him. Fear of the Lord motivates us to know what is right. And when we know that, we love it. Because then we know it is of God. And is at this place, the fear of the Lord, that we begin to find wisdom for real life. Wisdom begins within God. And he reveals it through his grace. But we can only receive it through humility. We look at the problems in our lives, and we think it's informational problems. If I had only known what I know now, if I had only known it then, things would have been different. If I had only known this piece of information when I made that decision. But our problems are not informational. Our problems are relational It is not the information around us that we need to pay attention to. It is the risen, living Lord Jesus Christ who we need to pay attention to. If you want to learn anything, you need to start with a fear of the Lord. Because wise people humbly revere God. They live to please him. And if we're going to gain wisdom, we have to look to the cross. On the cross, you find a wise man. A wise man hanging there, dying for fools like you and me. Because he loves you. You may not love him. But he loves you. You may think that you're above him. But he humbled himself for you. If we want wisdom, we have to look away from ourselves and look to Jesus on the cross. Keep looking until your pride melts away. Only then can you worship in humility.
Only then will you get wisdom. It's hard to understand that kind of love. See, the fear of the Lord, it starts in love. And it stays there. As we prepare ourselves for communion, we need to grapple with that idea of love. The creator of the universe humbled himself to be one of us. Hanging on the cross. Dying for fools like us. We don't deserve it. But he did it out of love. As you come forward, it's open communion. Everyone is welcome to partake as the music starts. And take of the bread, dip it in the wine. Take your time with Jesus. Do you fear the Lord? Do you understand what he did for you? Father, prepare our hearts for this moment with you. Prepare our minds, declutter it so we can focus on you and your love for us. The mercy and the grace 